0: Thank you for tuning in with me to episode 46 of Sets and Reps, the podcast. A lot has changed in the past few weeks of February. I recently started working at a rehab hospital about an hour away from where I live as a student in the physical therapy department. I'm working alongside another physical therapist assistant who is pretty... Competent and has about 20 to 25 years of experience in the field. And I have been learning with him, working with the patient population that he specializes in, which is patients who suffered from strokes, a.k.a. uh, cerebrovascular accidents. And this population, depending on what side of the brain their stroke is affected by, They lose motor control and sensation and things like that on the other side of their body. So as a fitness trainer, it's been a really interesting opportunity for me to be able to experience what a quote unquote workout is like with someone who really can't stand on their own, who really can't roll around in bed on their own, and who can't really sit up on their own either let alone walk or squat or lift weights. So this is a population that I'm very much still getting used to. It requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of energy, and it requires conservation of my energy so that I can avoid burnout. I'm about three weeks into this, and I can say I truly enjoy my experience. Even though it's new, even though there's a lot for me to stay on top of, I think that the rest of my seven weeks at this hospital is going to prove to be a very great learning experience for me. And after this clinical internship is through with, then I'll be able to begin studying and Lord willing pass my licensure exam to become a physical therapist assistant in New Hampshire. That is really exciting. That's what I've, that's what I've been working towards this past two years or so. Consequentially, the podcast has been delayed in in the sense that I haven't been releasing episodes weekly, as you can tell. But I sort of subconsciously have been switching to an every other week release date. But you can always find me on Wednesdays or Fridays, and you can always catch up to the catalog of other episodes that have been released in my year and a couple months uh, existence of this podcast. There's a lot of Really, really fantastic episodes and smart, experienced guests that I have the chance to have met. And some of them I still connect to to this day. And the guest on today's episode, I have a feeling, is going to be another one of those guests that will go down in the Sets and Reps Hall of Fame as providing you, the listener, with a really great look at their career, how they can set goals and accomplish those goals in their career, and um, in helping you learn a little bit more about therapy. Of course, my guest today is Sarah Fritchie, and she is a therapist and an athlete and a doctoral candidate. The research that she's doing involves the psychological effects of injuries on female athletes at the college level. And Sarah's background with this is pretty extensive. Of course, she will be able to share that with you in this episode. But it involved her asking the important question of how she could give back to the community, where she saw uh, give back to the athletic community, where she saw that there was a need in terms of the mental aspect of a physical injury. We also talk about the styles of therapy. And you're going to learn that there are plenty more than one and how a couple different styles can be utilized depending on what the client needs. We also talk about online therapy and how it differs to in-person therapy. We also talk about how if you're a person that is in an interpersonal relationship with someone because of your business or because of your employment, how you can avoid playing the therapy role if your scope of practice doesn't necessarily include being that for someone. We also talk about the misconceptions of therapy, and Sarah actually debunks some of these for me. And there, of course, is a whole lot more that you're not going to want to miss in this episode. I am really grateful for the opportunity to share with you, and I would be even more grateful if you took this opportunity to share it with at least one or two friends or a family member that you feel like would enjoy it and find some value in it. You, of course, can follow me on Instagram at gregbuildskills. I'm going to provide a link to all of my guests' resources as well in the show notes below. You'll also see my main takeaways there from this episode. Check out my website too, reps.com. I am going to take a step back and let you listen to today's episode. Well, I am here with Sarah Fritchie, therapist, athlete, and doctoral candidate on Sets and Reps, the podcast, and I would just love to give her a warm welcome. Sarah, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. Um, This is a long time coming since we connected on the gram um, several months ago now, kind of like before the craziness of the holidays, I had been very interested in talking to you um, because I love uh, seeing your page and the content that you uh, put out. That's what I was drawn to originally seeing that, um, you know, through the words that you use, especially in like your captions, they're short but sweet and um, the pictures that you put up to uh, building awareness with uh, different kinds of mental health struggles that people can go through. I think that um, people like you and your profession Um, are really valuable to the world, especially in times like these. Once again, thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I just want to say like, that's what's so great about social media now too, is that we can find all these new connections out there. And so I I appreciate that, that space.
0: As an introduction uh, to you, and so that you can kind of tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself before we kind of get going here. When was your first like exposure to mental health? And when did it become an important thing for you to cultivate um, as it led you on a path here to becoming a therapist and actually helping people with um, figuring out and and finding their way through these different struggles or things that they may face?
1: Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting because everyone really has their own journey with mental health. Um, and so for me, you know, growing up, I was always kind of that, I I was, I was a really quiet kid. So I did a lot of listening. I didn't do a whole lot of talking. Um, and I think that has really served me well in my profession because that's kind of what I do a lot of listening. (laughs) Um, but I would say that, you know, I was exposed to mental health, um, through pretty much my own childhood through my experience with my family um mm. there's kind of a long history of mental health concerns in in my extended family and um you know everyone's kind of had their own things that they've gone through um depression bipolar disorder um substance use anxiety stuff like that um and so once i got to high school um i started you know you're like you have to take a psychology 101 class as Mm. like part of the curriculum. And, um, I took that class and I was like, wow, this stuff is just so interesting. And it just felt like it clicked for me. Um, and so I was like, man, this might be an area for me to, to make a career out of, you know, I'm kind of in that natural, um, go-to friend for listening position. And then, Um, I'm interested in the brain and emotions and how our thoughts and experiences and all of that connect to each other. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, throughout my life, I've had a lot of tragic experiences where I've had friends pass away, um, some from suicide, some from drug and alcohol abuse, um, different things like that. And so really, as I've grown you know I've noticed this huge need for mental health services because part of having you know a mental health concern or issue is that you feel very alone and you feel by yourself in those moments you you are self-medicating in a lot of ways and so um thinking about being able to be there for people and to help people and potentially save their lives. That was a huge, huge spark for me um, to get started in this career. And then I think, you know, once I finished my undergrad program, I learned that there was something called sports psychology. And Mm -hmm. this was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I had never heard of it before. And essentially what that is, is therapy with athletes. So you're addressing not only like performance based stuff. So whether there's like an injury or a mental block or something like that, um, you're also talking about depression, anxiety, um, trauma, anything like that, and how it how it all interacts together. Um, And so that's what I ended up studying and kind of moving on my journey through.
0: And uh, right now you are working on your doctor, right?
1: Correct. Yes.
0: That's awesome. I'm that's... finishing
1: up my doctorate. Yes. That's work,
0: that's work ethic right there. Crap. <sighs> yes. How it's many... been a long <laughs> journey. <laughs> yeah. How much longer do you have?
1: Um. So I will be, I'm finishing up my clinical hours now and my mm. um, dissertation research. So I will be done by summer of 2023.
0: Well, keep pressing on the fact that you had a reason and, and your why kind of stems from some of the stuff that you went through, um, to help more and more people, uh, who feel alone, help them to feel like they have somebody that will listen and somebody that will, will help them. And that's awesome that sports psychology is your bag here because I, um, had another, I had a mental performance coach on the show, not too long ago. Um, oh, awesome! And, and yeah, we were able to, talk about some of the, um, kind of tools that athletes are able to utilize, you know, whether it's like before game day, um, or to prep them for competition and stuff like that. When we're connecting on social media, you were having a discussion about, um, some of the stuff that you specialize in and, and what your style of therapy was. And that brought me to the idea that maybe a lot of people who are interested in trying therapy or learning about it for the first time. Maybe they don't quite know uh, that there are multiple styles um, or maybe that's just something that didn't like occur to them. Um, so I was wondering if there was a way that you could kind of briefly kind of break down what some of those major styles are. Um, and then what you, you know, your specialty obviously is, is sports psychology. So maybe uh, if that is, if that counts as its own style, um, that then that's great. But if not, you know, could could you break down some of those other styles for me? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there are tons and tons and tons of different types of therapy. Um, typically, these fall into a couple of like bigger sections. So I'll kind of go over the basics here because um, I could probably talk forever about this, but uh, so. <laughs> the The first one um, is called psychodynamic therapy. Um, this is really great for people who want long-term therapy and support. Um, this type of therapy is going to dive deeper into learning about yourself, uh, learning about some of your unconscious thoughts, emotions, um, bodily experiences, as well as your different relationships um, how they've impacted you to this point and like I said just learning about yourself and learning about why you know you're maybe making uh, certain decisions or why you I don't know things like that like how how your life has impacted where you are today
0: like where you want to go in the future probably exactly has a lot Mm -hmm. of deep connection with that too okay
1: definitely yeah Yeah, so like I said, that's going to be good for longer term therapy. So if you want to do like a year or more of therapy, I would say that's a good route to go. Um, The second one here is behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, They're very similar. So this is going to be a style that is really great for shorter term use. Uh, We see this a lot if you're going into like a college counseling center or somewhere where they have, you know, maybe six to eight sessions or something like that that are covered. Um, And this is really good for addressing kind of your, your behaviors, your um, patterns, your decision-making it's really action-based. So you're going to see like a lot of journaling type stuff and Mm. um, uh, like food journaling, for example, is one Um, habit forming different stuff like that. And really what's great about this is that it cognitive behavioral therapy explores your core beliefs about yourself, um, whether they're good or whether they're bad, and then they can help you to reframe some of those negative thoughts and move Mm -hmm. them into a more positive way of thinking. So really this is going to be, um, again, the shorter term use, uh, that's, that's great for practical solutions
0: i have two experiences with therapy and one of them was very brief and it was uh with C it was was with cognitive behavioral therapy mm. um and it was actually online with the better help app i'm sure you're familiar yeah um so i had tried that out for a little bit and it wasn't and it was interesting because it's it just like you're saying action-based um to help with behaviors it was something that I was dealing with, with work performance. And, Mm -hmm. um, it actually helped me a lot because it was, uh, in my communication style with, uh, new, new clients or new people that I would meet, I was meeting in the gym for the first time. Um, and a kind of like acute nervousness or like, um, fear of failure that like in the moment was making it too much too difficult for me to like to do my job well so mm-hmm. um in the in the few sessions that I had with uh this therapist she was awesome um I was able to uh, help myself and get help kind of reframing or like you were saying turning negative thoughts into neutral or even positive ones um, with, with kind of exercises too. And that's awesome to have that follow-up for people to be able to, um, start taking action for sure. Do you do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy yourself?
1: So, um, it is a really good tool. It, It kind of depends. Um, I would say CBT just in addition is, is really great for people who, are looking for a lot of structure in their therapy Mm. Mm. um so i would say for me personally i do integrate it in um depending on what the client is coming in with um Mm. so i actually practice from kind of a more uh humanistic um realm of therapy which essentially is um meeting the client where they're at. So it's going to be a really relationship-based therapy, um, not a structured. It's, you can do it really long-term or short-term therapy. Um, and what I like about the humanistic realm is that the client chooses what they want to bring into the session. Um, so it's really client-driven. Um, and I think it, it helps address what they think is important to work on. Um, Obviously, you know, there's some flexibility there with things that we have to have to address in terms of safety and stuff like that. Um, But I think it it is effective in that way, you know, teaching the client to understand themselves and to explore themselves and, and learn to make their own decisions um, with just the guidance of, of the therapist. But um, yeah, I would say it's, it's very integrative. So when there is a need for like a CBT or behavioral intervention, especially in sports psychology, I definitely integrate that as well.
0: It's not very, it's not very black and white with each person we kind of like exercise, like each person will be different. So one movement or one therapy style, you may need to bring some more stuff in. So you just got to keep your toolbox handy. It sounds like
1: it's awesome. exactly right. Yes.
0: Um, so, and I think the other experience that I had, correct me if I'm wrong, it was more, it was more humanistic because I was, I was able to kind of share in the session, like, and this was in person too, face to face. Um, I was able to just kind of share what I was going through because at the time I had, uh, and on this podcast, I've talked about it before briefly, I was going through a uh, loss of my sister. So I was kind of, uh, experiencing some anxiety from that which had been built up. And so um, being able to share that with someone and just that was like the first time bringing thoughts outside of myself uh, into into like, you know, speaking it with someone else. Um, and he actually recommended a book to me, um, which was called Flow. And yes, you like that book? You heard of it?
1: Yes. Great book.
0: Favorite going through it again a second time right now with my friend and it's um it's super uh good and it's actually like when I got to the point of now getting out of myself more and then getting into things to help me you know enjoy and experience life more uh with with the optimal experience and like experiencing that flow state like that was a really um big impact from therapy that I had like that he uh, had ended up recommending that book to me. What's your opinion on like online therapy versus in person? And mm-hmm. do you, yeah. Do you feel like one is, you know, better than the other in a sense?
1: So I think, you know, that, that's a great question considering what we're going through now with the, the pandemic and everything. Um, there are some pros and cons kind of to both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, the greatest thing about online therapy and telehealth, what we see now is that we can reach people who we may have not previously been able to reach. Um, so this can be, you know, people who maybe don't have the access to resources to physically come in somewhere. Uh, maybe they don't have a car or public transportation or, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, we're able to meet with them online, which is great. So they're getting access to what they need. Um, The times can be a little bit more flexible. It's obviously more convenient. Um, Depending on the person, some people feel more comfortable with online therapy. Some people feel more comfortable coming in in person. Um, Again, so it kind of depends on what that client is looking for. Um, I think online therapy can be great you know, Hmm. it can be super helpful for, for a lot of people. Um, And also it may not be as effective for some people. So um, again, it it depends. I know that's kind of the the cheat answer there.
0: Exactly. We're not going to know. It's better to say it depends than have like (laughs) an absolute statement. Like, you know, my boss always, my boss, like a head trainer is always like, never speak in absolutes like it's not always going to be extremely yes it's not always going to be extremely no but sorry
1: definitely yeah it's it's not all black and white um and and what i would add to that is that personally i love doing therapy in person um i think there's a certain aspect that you get when you're sitting in the room with someone uh that sort of gets lost in translation when you're doing online therapy you know as the therapist we can see the body language that the the client is presenting we can see you know maybe if they're having certain emotions that we can't really see over the camera um and i think with confidentiality in mind also um, because you know our sessions are confidential uh it makes it a little bit harder to do online um just because you know most people will be at their home so Mm. there might be things that they don't want their roommates or their family or you know whoever to hear Mm. um so it does get a little bit tricky in that way and I think anytime you're working with someone who has like extensive trauma history or things like that it can be tricky to do online as well I think something kind of gets missed a little bit if that makes sense
0: yeah I understand that. So let's shift gears a little bit for those who are interested in learning more about this field too. Um, I've, I've always been curious to, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't the type of person that was like skeptical going into it. Um, I was like, I need help. I need, I need to try this. Like I was open to it, but there are people who aren't open to it. Right. So what are what would you say in your opinion in your experiences um what are some of the common uh misconceptions about therapy um and i guess a better way to ask that might be like what what is it not like what if someone's going in to it what are some things that you can in general say that they should not expect
1: sure sure that's a really good question, because I think there's lots and lots of misconceptions out there. Um, and and that just highlights why this is so important to talk about so that people get the correct information. Um, so I would say the biggest thing that I hear is that if you're going to therapy, there's something wrong with you or you're crazy or you're weak, or there are all these like negative words that float around. Um, there's a lot of stigma still that exists around going to therapy. Um, and I think we do see that shifting a little bit kind of with these, uh, younger generations, but, um, definitely there's a lot of things that, that kind of may prevent someone from seeking a therapist. Um, you know, really, I think if you are seeking that help for yourself, that shows strength. It doesn't show weakness. It shows, you know, that curiosity about yourself to get to want to know yourself and to better your relationships with people and with the world. Um, so I, I would say that's the biggest misconception that I hear. Um, I also hear, you know, you shouldn't go to therapy unless you're like in a crisis That's, that's Mm. also not the case. I think therapy can be useful for anyone, really. Um, Even if you feel like you don't have anything that's like, super, super urgent, or uh, important at that moment, there's always something for you to talk about. Um, Whether that's your experiences growing up, whether that's your um, personal identities, whether that's your values, just setting goals, different things like that. There's always something that can come up. Um let's see what else. I think another good one is is you know, I don't want to pay for someone to just listen to all my problems, you know, I could just talk to my friends or family about that.
0: I could start and- a podcast. No,
1: <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. No, this is this is actually this is a great outlet i think to to get some of the stigma decreased
0: honestly um it's yeah great, it's great to, it's also just great to like learn from people like you um but it's yeah sorry my joke my joke completely took us off the rails but like
1: <laughs> you were okay. saying
0: you were saying don't um you know i don't i don't want to pay someone to talk about my problems with um yeah and that's and that's another thing too yeah
1: yeah so i would say you know well, for one, a lot of times now we're moving towards insurance covering mm. therapy. So in a lot of cases, you may not have to pay for it at all. Um, and, and two, you know, therapy is going to be a lot different than just, you know, telling what you think are your problems to this stranger that you don't know, um, or to a friend, even just yeah. because of the, yeah. the training that we receive as therapists, you know, there's a reason why we go to school for so long to do this. We know uh, different interventions, we're trained in um, risk assessment, we're trained for, you know, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, substance use, like there are all these areas that we're trained in. Um, and we also learn about evidence based uh, theories. And so, you know, it's not that we're just a blank sounding Mm. board necessarily. Um, We are doing things very intentionally. So if someone's coming in with a specific concern, we are trained to know here's what works for this concern. And here's what I'm going to do to try to help this person help themselves, essentially. Um, And I think what people will find over time is that your therapist doesn't feel like a stranger anymore after those first maybe one or two, maybe a, several sessions. Um, and you really get to build a close and trusting relationship that's different from other relationships that you have in your life.
0: I want to ask about how if there is that person that is very skeptical, but, you know, they are getting like they don't necessarily feel like they need it or they don't feel like they want it or whatever and you get them into that um situation where you are giving them the tools that you know work and they may not be open to those skills yet that you'll use to help them with whatever they got going on um can you speak to how you may need to get them to buy in in a way to to what's going on and what you know will help them because i mean as a fitness professional I know that if you get more sleep, you'll tend to perform a lot better in your other stuff. Or if you are you have a head, like like just basic stuff that people don't necessarily pay too much attention to, once they start doing those things, life gets better in a way. And that was a really simple example with like getting sleep. But in that vein, is there anything you can speak on when it comes to getting clients to like buy into this type of stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think buy-in can be one of the most challenging things in, in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with therapy, I will say the, the the best way to get someone to buy into what you are talking about is building that trust, building that relationship. Um, so, you know, in the first couple of sessions, it's going to be a lot of uh, like specifically the first session, you're, you're getting a lot of information about your client. Um, and so that can feel really uncomfortable at first. Um, and then I think what people find throughout, you know, session two, three, four, etc., um, it, it's a little bit less information intensive. So there's some time to get to know each other. There's some time to find common ground, build a relationship, Um, And like I said, build that trust. And then once that is established, it kind of flows really, really nicely.
0: Hey, thank you so much for listening to episode 46 of Sets and Reps, the podcast. We are going to take a short break right now. I want to share with you a brief clip from episode 45, which featured my mom and dad. We got on a conversation together. It was really fun. I believe you listeners really enjoyed this one because it got a lot of attention, a lot of streams the first couple days of it coming out. So thank you as well for that. We talked about what it was like for them to move to South Carolina in their 60s after having lived in a small town for about 30 years further up north. We also talk about a tragic experience that we went through as a family about four years ago and what the natural and healthy process of grief should be based on our experience and we talked about some habits that my parents used at a very young age that has stayed with me since then at 23 and finally we also talk about how they have been together now for a very long time 40 years and what it is like to be with someone for that long what are some of the things that you have to do to maintain a stable and happy relationship. So take a listen into this clip. You have to be careful of the habits around food and food prep. Obviously, you, you control how much you eat uh, at a sitting. And, you know, you keep in mind, I'm not going to eat uh, for that 180 pound woman that I was, I'm not going to eat that way anymore, you know. Mm. And then of course, being active. I still um, hold fast to being active. I walk six miles a day, Pretty much five to six miles every day. Um, I do have an exercise bike that's sitting right here in the living room that I get on and I I work with that. And I have other things I'm going to uh, reintroduce um, Mm. because I feel it's important to maintain strength. Absolutely. Uh, Especially as we age, like, you know, we're in our 60s, the natural thing to do is to lose that muscle tone. So Mm. we have to be pretty intentional to keep Mm. it, to keep strong. Thanks again for listening. Now, let me take you back to episode 46.
1: I think definitely something i found to help is presenting people with the scientific facts or the evidence behind why we're doing what we're doing. Um, So we know, you know, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy can be great at um, changing habits and changing thought patterns. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of evidence that shows this is why it works. Mm. It, it helps restructure the brain. Um, same thing with like mindfulness and meditation. So I think presenting people with, here's why we're doing it. Um, here's the evidence that we have that can definitely help. Um, I think also like, if you think about modeling in terms of the therapist demonstrating these qualities for themselves. So for me, you know, I'll say, For example, this is a meditation that I do um, every night or whatever it might be Mm. Um, and say, Mm. you know, I have found it very helpful. Uh, I would like to give it to you. And if you feel like it may be helpful, um, try it out, see how you feel. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. You know, we'll find something that does. Mm. And so a lot of it is that trial and error figuring out what works for that person individually and, and being flexible with it. Um, I I think giving people that lenience to figure out what fits best for them helps them to buy in because they have a say in it. They have choice. It's not like they're just being told do this and it should work. You know, there's, there's options. Mm. Um, So definitely, you know, and then taking baby steps, easing into it so that it's not so overwhelming.
0: I was curious, too, in our conversation here, uh, wondering if you can think back to when you first had your your first in-person session with a client and um, kind of compared to where you're at now in your experiences, is there anything you would like say to yourself or is there anything um, you feel like you uh, wish you would have done differently or anything you can commend yourself on doing. Cause I know that you said yourself from a very young age, you were good at listening and talking to people. Um, and you had that kind of quality from the beginning. So, uh, in that vein, is there anything you can think of from, from your first official, uh, therapy session with someone?
1: Yeah, I, I love this, this question. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously with keeping
0: yeah, yeah, our yeah. sessions
1: confidential, um, I would say, That very first session, I was so nervous. I I was probably the most nervous I've ever been Um, because it's different. You know, you learn about things in class and in books, and you can do as many like case studies as you want. But then when you're in the room with someone, it's totally different. So, (laughs) uh, my first session, oh my gosh, I think I was physically shaking. I was so scared. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I'm sure my client probably picked up on a little bit of that. I was kind of like stumbling over my words and stuff. And, um, this person was a little bit quieter by nature. So I think, uh, I felt a lot of pressure to have to talk for a lot of the session. Um, and sometimes in therapy, it's helpful to just give some space for silence and kind of let the, the client come in and figure out, you know, what's going on in their head, give them a little bit of prompting maybe, and um, allow them that space to, to kind of come up with something on their own, you know, it's their space. So we wanna make sure that we use it for what they're looking for. And so I think kind of where I am now and looking back on that very first session, um, I would tell myself to trust myself, you know, I know what I'm doing. Um, it's really a matter of just being another person with another person in the room, um, bringing myself into that space. I don't have to be this, like, oh, I'm a therapist and I have to do this and this and this, you know, well, first I'm a human, I'm a person. Mm. And so allowing that and allowing my personality to come into the room with that person, I think, you know, instead of being so rigid would have helped a lot. Um, and I think that that makes people feel comfortable to be themselves as well. So definitely, yeah, it's, it's been a journey and I'm, I've, I've definitely come a long way since that, that first session.
0: Just like looking at your bio a little bit, it was nice to see all of the um, educational and personal experiences that you've had um, Thank you. since then. And what you're saying about just being a person with another person in the room ties right into building that relationship, building the trust, um, making yourself more comfortable at, by making them comfortable too. And it's, everybody's happy. Exactly.
1: Um, maybe not, yes. maybe not,
0: but you, but everyone can talk about <laughs> stuff, which is good. So uh, a question I want to ask you kind of uh, selfishly about my field and just other other fields here that may work with people, but... Not in the therapy or counseling role, and this is a big one that I think I've had a little bit of reflection on and was learning about through myself for myself through exercise science school and becoming a trainer and um, having those very intimate uh, interactions with clients, whether it's for the first time meeting them or building a you know a relationship over the course of training um, and working with them it doesn't always, conversations don't always stick with exercise and with what we're doing in that moment. And mm-hmm. we tend to, and I've talked to other trainers about this as well. We, we tend to almost like accidentally step into these faux therapist roles, which um, can, if you're not good at honing someone back into the moment, they can, they can talk a lot. And if that's not my job, my job is to help them strength train, but I am with them for an hour and I am very concerned about their overall health and mental health is obviously a huge part of that. So what would be your, your advice to avoid playing that that role, doing your job basically in my job um, in a profession like being a personal trainer uh, or a business coach or someone who's who's, that's not their focus, that's not in their scope of practice
1: sure yeah I think this is a a really common thing that happens especially in those those professions that are a little bit closer um Mm. so like you said trainers um physical therapists even you know people who are like in the beauty um the beauty world you know going to the salon and stuff like that it's very easy to kind of step into the boundaries of you know, I'm not your therapist. So this feels kind of strange. Um, I think one, let me say, I think it is great that those people feel so comfortable with you to share those intimate details and um, experiences. That's that's a great sign. You know, it's always great to be there for someone. Mm. And at the same time, I hear you saying, you know, this is not your job. um, And you're not necessarily trained in this area. Mm. So something that I've worked on a lot and this is this is hard even for me to do is to maintain healthy boundaries um so I think really looking into yourself and saying um what am I comfortable talking with this person about and kind of where is that line that I don't want to cross until I say you know this is something better off a therapist would handle um so doing that self-exploration First and foremost, Uh, the next thing I would say is, you know, kind of figuring out what your spiel is gonna be when someone comes in and they start crossing into that territory of not appropriate for um, uh, training, for example. Um, So some examples can look like, you know, this sounds like a really important instance in your life that you're going through and i want to make sure that you're getting the best care that you need around this Mm. and i'm wondering if you've ever thought about giving yourself um the space or the care to find a therapist or someone else to talk to um because you deserve that space you deserve someone who is dedicating an hour at a time to listen to you and um, work through some of these things with you and someone who is trained to do that. Um, and, and you can sort of frame it in a way that's because you care about that person and because that person deserves the time and the care for themselves. Um, and that I would say, you know, kind of have your go-to maybe list of resources or something like that. Um, psychologytoday.com is like amazing. They have everything you could ever ask for on there. That's something that I always give people um, when they are looking for resources. Um, Also just like a Google search too, you know, mental Mm. health resources. There's a Mm. ton of stuff that pops up. And I think even just like normalizing, talking about mental health. So saying, you know, if for example, you see, I heard you say you've seen a therapist before So maybe, for example, you can say, um, you know, I went to therapy uh, for something very similar and I found it to be really helpful, Mm. Um, you know, if you're comfortable in doing that and just kind of like re-framing the conversation so you're not going deeper into what they want to talk about, but saying like, wow, this is important. This deserves a specific space to talk about.
0: Mm, yeah, and then telling them that it's okay to like step into that, like if
1: exactly, and
0: then and the fact that we I've done it myself is a good thing for them because they'll trust it more. So
1: exactly, and it takes yeah. some of that stigma away.
0: I know that you know you mentioned that there is still a huge stigma with it, and it seems like it's something that a lot of people are talking about, and it just makes me wonder, like what like, like how we can continue to to fight against that and i think part of it is just it goes back to like letting people know that you've experienced it and that it works and then just continuing to be your true and authentic self. Yes, with everyone that you're communicating with um instead of trying to to hide stuff or put up a fake uh, image in a way.
1: Absolutely. Take on that. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has their own journey. Everyone is, is dealing with something. Um, so The more we talk about it, the, the less people feel like they're
0: alone. That's perfect. Very well put. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk about your sports background a little bit now. Um, yes. <laughs> I, would, I, I would love to, because I know you told me that you played rugby a lot. Um, I don't know if you still play currently, but super awesome. That's just all I can say. Um,
1: yeah thank you
0: and were you a competitive cheerleader as well
1: I was yes um, I cheered all through high school college um, I started as a gymnast and so that's kind of how I got into into cheerleading it was the the na- natural transition for me um, so and, you're uh, strong I was,
0: yes yes <laughs> definitely I know about gymnasts they have a lot of upper body strength and just full yes. body strength in general
1: man that training is hard
0: dang do you still like carry out a uh fitness regimen for yourself just for all the stuff that you still yeah that's awesome good for you
1: yeah I think that's like a huge part of my own self-care um it's it helps me release kind of that stress that comes from being a therapist and day-to-day life um going to the gym um I'm playing actually flag football right now Um, just being active in sports is something that like really, really helps me. Mm. And we know that exercising increases the the happy hormones in your brain. And so that's always really great as well.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Tying in your sports background with what you are going to continue pursuing with your doctoral research, I'd love to give you the opportunity Mm. to share a little bit about that. Was there anything in particular, as an athlete or what you saw with athletes, since you were in the sports psychology space that led you to want to partake what it is that you are partaking with your research. And maybe that's a good opportunity for you to kind of share the purpose behind the study that you're wanting to go through. Cause I think it's awesome. Um, as someone who has worked with athletes before and uh, a lot of athletes are close to me. So I would just I would just love to be able to to share this and talk about this with you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um so, you know, like I said, I was a, a competitive cheerleader all the way through college. Um, unfortunately in college I had a lot of injuries, uh, just freak accidents mostly, you know, which happened a lot in, in cheerleading because it's it's a risky sport. Um so, you know, there was a time where I had a uh, knee surgery, I had completely torn my ACL, torn my meniscus um, and fractured my tibia. And so that put me out, you know, for months, um, I ended up having to miss our national championship uh, competition. And so I found myself feeling super alone, super depressed. Um, you know, my body was physically changing, I was losing muscle, I had no appetite. Um, I was sleeping a lot and I felt really disconnected from my teammates because I wasn't seeing them every day. Like I was used to, um, I instead had to go to physical therapy. And so, um, you know, and, and I was on crutches. So it was like, I, it was hard for me to get around. There were lots of factors playing into that. And so I remember thinking like, man, you know, I'm not even worried about my, physical health, I can get over the pain. I, I know that I'm actively working on rehabbing it. Um, but for me, the concern was my mental health, because there, there were no resources to address the mental side of the injury. Um, you know, I had my own experiences kind of with coaches and not necessarily really believing that I was hurt in the first place and kind of um, different stories around that. But um you know, there, there was no mental health support essentially. And so I felt, I found myself isolating and just kind of falling into that depression. Um, and so that fast forward now um, into my doctorate program, I was like, man, how can I make a difference in the sports community and, um, and for me, it was like, wow, you know, thinking back on that injury, this makes total sense to do some type of research on injured athletes, um, especially in the college level, because I think there's a lot of unique factors that play into that identity and that time of your life. Um, and thinking about, you know, the resources that people have on campus, there, there are a lot of opportunities there to provide mental health services. So my research now is focusing on um, the psychological effects of injury uh, for female collegiate athletes at the division one level. And so really what we see is that not much research has been done uh, on women injured female athletes. And so there's a huge gap in the research because we can't depend on you know, generalizing it for what's been done for men. Um, It does look a little bit different for women as we're finding out um, just because of different identity factors and different experiences in, in sports. Um, And so really this research is addressing what the injured female athlete goes through um, emotionally and what support is she getting? How does she feel, uh, in connection to her team, what kind of team atmosphere is it? Stuff like that, um, and then looking at you know what role did maybe the um, uh, mental health counselors at her school play? What role did the coaches play? What role did the athletic trainers play? Um, and how can we sort of integrate the injury recovery treatment into something that addresses not only the physical but also the mental health? aspects so that we are giving her the best care possible. And so that we see less of these severe mental health concerns.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you recently been doing a lot of interviews and finding a lot of athletes to help you with this?
1: Yeah. So my study, actually, I'm in the data collection stage right now. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm sending out my survey. The survey is actually completely online um, and mm. it takes about 30 minutes to complete. It's uh, a couple short answer questions and some multiple choice questions. And um, I think I have about 30 participants right now, which is actually really great. Mm. Um because my criteria is a little bit specific for participation, um, but this is something that if you are interested in participating, um, it is found uh, some some resources on my uh, therapist Instagram page.
0: So can um, you can you take a quick second to shout that out? Because I want to make sure people yes. follow you and become exposed to all of the um, just very, very positive and uplifting content that you continue to put out as well as get on board with your research, um, as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, to provide all of the above to anyone who, who would like it. Um, so my, my Instagram handle is at therapist underscore Bay three. So therapist underscore BAE and the number three
0: there there must be like a great difference in what the women at the collegiate level or is there i guess is there a difference in what women at the collegiate level deal with and go through um versus you know kind of what they go through at the high school level did that come up at all in your research and um could could you yeah. like shed some light on that for me cuz i've had conversations a lot that revolve around kind of like male athletes um, and, I, and I, you know, want to be able to to learn about all of the above. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um, so part of what we see, we're looking at identity factors. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is people who play the sport in college typically um, are more invested in that sport than maybe a high school athlete Um, and so that for the college athlete their sport you know the identity of being an athlete really becomes more ingrained into their personhood Um, this is one of the main things that they see themselves as a college athlete Um, and so i think in those terms when you do experience an injury it's extremely damaging to that identity Um, and same thing, like, for example, when you retire from sports after the collegiate level, um, it can be really confusing in terms of your, your identity outside of sports and who you are outside of sports. In some cases, it can be a lot more difficult for the college athlete, uh, in terms of mental health recovery when they're coming back from injury versus maybe a high school athlete who, you know, maybe they're not as invested in the sport. Maybe they're involved in a lot of other things and, um, you know, would be okay to, to leave the sport after their injury or something like that. Um, and of course that's not always the case. Uh, it's just kind of the parameters, you know, when we, when we think about doing research um, it's a little bit more restricting because we have to be very specific with, our criteria for the sake of generalizability and things like that.
0: Uh, another question I wanted to ask about your research too, kind of before we bring our conversation to a close is like, the, sure. you mentioned how that identity changes if they, I think you mentioned if they can't return to the sport, mm-hmm. it does that, does that, are you looking at that at all in your research too? Like, cause you, you know, you may be able to return, you may not. And if you have to end up hanging up the hood like that's very large large thing that you have to go through so absolutely we've yeah, looked, looked at that a lot yeah
1: yeah so that's there are a couple of questions in there that do address you know um is this injury career ending or um you know how tied into your identity is sports and so there are definitely parts of that that we're looking to um to figure out more about, especially for women. Um, so that, yeah, that's a big part of it. And I think a lot more research in general can be done on that.
0: Well, thank you. I'm very, um, excited for this for you. And I just encourage you to keep going. Um, and once you kind of get in further on into it, I'm sure it's going to be a lot, a lot more exciting and a lot, um, more, uh, busy for you too. So yeah, keep me posted. I'd love to, uh, you know, see, see where it's going to take you. Um, but I, once again, want to thank you very much for your time. Um, thanks for coming on to my show to talk to me about mental health styles of therapy, um, allowing me to share my experiences with you and you sharing your experiences with me. Um, seems like we're, I'm one person being with another person and it's just, just like we were talking about earlier um, and just you breaking down those misconceptions for me too, for anyone that is interested uh, or, or seeking it out. Um, I think we talked about a lot of great stuff. So um, thank you again, Sarah.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for this platform and for inviting me on the the podcast. You know, it's been really an enjoyable experience. Um, and you know, we just barely scratched the surface today. So, uh, I will say if, if people are interested in more information and more conversations to definitely reach out to me on that Instagram page. Um, and I would love to continue the work with you and, uh, and keep you posted on everything and best of luck to you as well.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And again, for the folks in the back, that's therapist underscore BAE three.